So. Amen. Somebody said, well, he brought the whiteboard out again. So it's pretty serious. So it is serious. Um, we're, uh, we're doing this series called Abound, and we're talking about our finances primarily and um, getting wisdom from God about our finances. And so I wanted to draw something for you up here in a minute that really helped me years ago. I saw it, and it just made sense to me. It just clicked. And so I thought that I would draw it for you, hopefully. My artistic skills aren't very good, but it's a chart, so just some lines so I can draw it. So anyway, the first step in mastering our money, we talked about this before, is that I want to get to a place where my income regularly exceeds my expenses. So over here is money, and down here is time. Buddy, with me so far? Okay, so I've got my expenses, and I've got my income. Now the first problem that people have sometimes is that their expenses are, are more than their income, right? So this is a bad deal. This means I'm losing money every month. So I don't want that to happen. So my first goal is to bring my expenses down and bring my income up and reach this X right here. Anybody with me there? So this is the point where my income begins to exceed my expenses. If you guys can't see this, I'm sorry. You can watch the tape later. So <laughs> um, I guess this is the anointed side over here. You guys are blessed. But anyway, this, this deal right here, I've got this gap now between my income and my expenses. And this is what the Bible calls my seed. Remember, we've got two categories of income. We've got seed and we've got bread. And I invest my seed and I eat my bread. And so we're talking about what to do with our seed. And last week we said the first thing you want to do once you've got this margin right here is you want to start to give. And we want to give to honor God. And I believe in shooting for 10% at the beginning. Don't be legalistic about it. Uh, I taught that last week. So if you have questions about that, you can go back to that message. But what do I do with the other, the other 10% or the rest of my seed? What I want to do with that is I want to begin to invest it in my future. So I'm going to talk about investing a little bit today. I'm not a, a financial advisor. I'm not a... Um, so I'm not going to tell you what stocks to buy or anything like that, okay? You can go listen to somebody smarter than me about, about that kind of stuff. But I'm going to explain to you what the Bible says about this sort of thing. This is one of these really practical messages. I believe in doing the intense theological messages, but I also believe in doing some practical stuff because both are important, right? I, we need to know who God is, but we also need to know some practical things about life. And the Bible teaches us things about both of those. So I want to just spend a moment encouraging you that it is not bad or unchristian to plan for the future. Uh, Warren Buffett said this quote that I found that I really liked, which said, Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. That's really a good word. And what that means is really that some part of investing is about me doing things that aren't necessarily even for my own benefit. It's me caring about my kids and my kids' kids and trying to build things that will outlast me. It's, it's really my goal as a pastor. I want to build this church to bless you guys and to, to, 
help me and everything, and I want the church to be, to be good, but I want it to outlive me. Yeah. And I want it to be a blessing to my kids and my kids' kids. And that requires a long-term thinking. It requires investing. Proverbs 22.3 says this. It says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. What's that mean? It means a, a, a person that's wise, that uses godly wisdom, they look into the future and they anticipate that some bad stuff's going to happen. Now, that doesn't mean that you're, that you're looking for something bad to happen or that you're, you're outside of faith. It's just having a realization that, like, for example, the tires on my car are not going to last forever. How many of you can say amen to that? <laughs> okay, I just had to buy Molly four new tires. Well, why is that? It's because of the second law of thermodynamics and, and entropy, and everything is, is going to chaos because of sin, right? So the tires are getting bald. And I can pray, and I can believe God for the tires to... I, I mean, I'm going to drive on the tires. I mean, they looked like slicks. It was probably dangerous. But a prudent man, what's a prudent man do? Recognizes, okay, I'm going to have this future expense. And what do I do? I plan for it, meaning I, I set aside money so that when the evil comes, I can pay cash for it and I don't have to take out a loan. Because if I take out a loan for those sorts of expenses, it, it puts me in a hole and it's a continual problem. It's positive to plan for the future. Let's read another proverb. Proverbs 13, 22. says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This is an interesting scripture because when this was written, in the Jewish culture, you couldn't actually leave your inheritance to your grandkids. Legally, your inheritance went to your children. And a double portion went to the oldest. Now the reason for that was it was the oldest guy's primary responsibility to care for his, for his parents. So he got extra money to, to help take care of mom and dad. Okay? And then the rest of it was divvied up. So this isn't saying that a godly person leaves money to his grandkids. It's saying that a godly person figures out how to pass on stuff to his kids and then teaches his kids the skills necessary to steward that inheritance well so that it's still there for the grandkids. That's a really good word because what tends to happen is that I pass... You can, you can read through this all through the book of Kings is that a, a king will do well and then he'll pass something on to his kid and his kid messes it up and isn't able to pass it on to the grandkid. So I've got to get this mentality that it's, it's not enough for me just to manage my own finances well. I want to do that. But I also want to teach my kids how to manage their finances and how to think right about money so that what I leave them will eventually make it to my grandkids. How many of you would like to do that? That's a good word. So godly people labor to pass on not just money, but the skills to manage and increase it. 
Now, let's just address a couple things that Jesus said really quickly because, um, you know, theology doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. It's influenced by culture and by um, a, a variety of things, history. And in America, you know, following um, World War I and then World War II, I know about this because I used to be an English teacher, and, and you study the literature that followed, for example, World War I and World War II. World War I, we went into modernism, which was very depressing, and, and thinking about how the world didn't mean anything. And then, and then later, we got into postmodernism, which was, was still the, this nihilism, nothing means anything, but, but maybe we can at least laugh about it. So it's all very discouraging stuff, and it's, it's you know, they looked at World War II, and, and the Holocaust happened, and how could, how could this be possible? It's, it's horrible, and, and it is. I mean, it's, it's crazy, and, um, you know, Stanley Milgram did these experiments that basically proved we're all capable of terrible evil, and, and people looked at that stuff, and they thought, man, the, the world is falling apart. We aren't, we aren't making progress. People aren't getting better. People are evil. Everything is bad. And, and they started to, in the, in the 60s especially, um, there was a lot of social upheaval and norms were being questioned. And in the middle of that, a very popular book was written, which I won't name because I don't want to dishonor anybody. But this book was about the end of the world. And, and it convinced many Christians that the end of the world was about to happen. And there have since been many books written like that. And what these things do is they tend to prey on our anxieties that the succeeding generation is going to destroy the world. You know that pretty much every generation believes that the generation after them is going to destroy the world. You know that, right? So the people you believe are going to destroy the world, um, you've got to remember at one point you are the people that were going to destroy <laughs> the world. Okay, and, and so I'm, I'm with you. I, I understand that there's, there's social upheaval and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the world today. Um, and, and I believe Jesus is coming back. But, but what happened was in, in the late 60s and early 70s, this book was written, and a, and a whole bunch of Christians uh, looked at this and they, they concluded from it that they had no future. Now, if you are that person, don't feel condemned. I, I love you. God loves you. Um, you know, it's, it's not a big deal, but, but many people, as a result of this, didn't do a lot of planning for the future. Didn't go to college, didn't in, uh, invest in, in retirement and things like that, because people told them, well, why bother? Jesus is going to come back in the next five minutes. <laughs> Just being honest. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and so... so um, Again, I'm not, I'm not, I believe Jesus is, is coming back, okay? But the, but the question is, what do we do in the interim between now and when he comes back? Do we just go hide in the cave? Do we just let the world go to hell? I, I, don't, I don't believe that we do. In fact, I think that the Bible teaches us that we're actually supposed to confront and overcome evil, not, not run from it. And we became very escapist in our, in our theology, and I think a lot of that is, is shifting, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I just, I, I've pulled um, a couple of scriptures here. Look at Matthew 6 really quickly. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than clothing? Skip down to verse 34. 
Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take care of itself. Uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. All right, if you, if you just read these scriptures and you're not familiar with the King James and you don't look up, uh, you know, the, the stuff in Blue Letter Bible and the Greek and whatever, it sounds like Jesus is saying, don't think about the future. Does it sound like he's saying that? Don't, don't think about where you're going to eat and don't think about tomorrow. You know, it's, it's stressful enough dealing with today. However, if you look this up, and you actually if you read some other translations, it says this. It says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to put on. But it doesn't say don't plan. The issue is not whether or not to have a 401k. It's whether or not to stress out about it. That's a good word for me, okay? I, I have, you know, I've got these retirement accounts and I like looking at them because I, like the, I like all the numbers and I'm like, and I, and I have a tendency to stress because I'm like, am I getting enough return? What's the, you know, because there's all these different, is, is it balanced right? And I look at that and if I'm not careful, I can stress about it. And what Jesus is saying, look, don't stress about it. I'm going to take care of you. Is that true? But does that mean I don't, I don't plan? No, I'm supposed to plan. In fact, Jesus said in, in Luke 19, verse 13, he's telling all these people, he's giving an analogy, a story, he's saying, I'm going to give you guys these talents. And then he says, look, guys, occupy, do business until I come. And his point is, uh, you know, trade, make money, increase what I've given you until I come back. So what we're supposed to do until Jesus come back, comes back is... is Labor for increase. So that means uh, get more people saved, healed, delivered. Um, you know, let's, let's manage our finances the right way. Let's get into financial freedom. Let's get people free from, from bondage to debt and all these kinds of things. And um, if Jesus comes back in the middle of that, the Bible says, well, blessed are you if you're doing what the master told you to do while, while Jesus came back. Right? But what did Jesus say to the guy that took his money and just stuck it in a hole and didn't do anything with it? He wasn't super happy with the guy, right? Now, I don't think that's, don't stress out about it. That doesn't mean if you're, if you're not ready for retirement that you're going to go to hell. That's not what it's talking about. He's just saying, he's just saying that, that when God gives you gifts and talents, there's a responsibility to, to use them. For, to further his kingdom. That's all, that's all that that's saying. So, in my opinion, it is not bad to plan for the future. It's sort of similar to um, sermon preparation in, in microcosm. Uh, some people think you're really anointed if you never write any notes. Okay? There's a tendency to confuse spontaneity with being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, just because I do something spontaneously doesn't mean I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. It might, but it might not. I try to hear God about what to preach throughout the week so that when I get here, I've got the notes already and then you can look at them. Now, I'm, I'm listening, and if God says do something else, then I will. But, but if he said that, that would probably mean that I didn't hear right during the week. <coughs> Just being real. There's a tendency, 
Uh, don't, don't, don't get off on that, Pastor. <laughs> All right, I got to coach myself up sometimes. Praise Jesus. Okay, everybody with me? So it's all right to have seed, and it's all right to use it to plan for the future. So what do I do now with, with this seed? Well, i got to invest in my future, so I've got some priorities. The first thing that I want to do if once I've got some seed is I want to save it, and I want to create an emergency fund. And this thing is what helps me avoid the evil. That's what he's saying. So I put about three to six months of, of my, my finances into a savings account so that if my car breaks down or I have to buy a new water heater or some other evil thing occurs, I can pay cash for it. And if you do that, that's a big deal. That's, that's the first thing to do. So, so if you're back here where your income is, is below your expenses, your first goal is to get right here, right? But then once you've got some margin, then you want to take your, your like 10% of your money or 15 or 20 or however much you can get and sock it away in an emergency fund until that thing's funded. Then if you have to spend it, you want to replenish it. But here's the amazing thing about having the emergency fund. The more you have it, it's, it's supernatural, the less you, you tend to need it. It just really is. After that, you want to work on paying off debt and investing in stuff. So sometimes people have the question, what do I do first? Well, getting out of debt tends to be a really good proposition especially if you've got high interest stuff. So if you've got credit cards that are like 15 to 25% interest or something like that, man, work on paying that off as quick as you possibly can. Because uh, even if you take your, your money and you put it and you get a really good return on an index fund or something, you may only get 10 to 15%. So, so if I pay off a loan that's charging me 25, that's a huge investment in my future. That's just the math. Right? So how do you pay off debt? Well, Dave Ramsey and these other financial gurus, they came up with this thing called the debt snowball. Anybody heard of this? This is a good plan. If you don't know this, it's pretty simple. But what you do is you find an extra $150 a month. Well, say, I don't have that, Pastor. Well, you know, you can cut something. You can get rid of your cable or something. Or, you know, you can, there's a lot of opportunities to, to make money. You can drive Uber or something. I don't know. Find, find an extra 50 to 100 bucks. And you take that and you pay it towards your smallest debt. So if I've got like a $500 on a store credit card or something, I start paying that off. And when I get that paid off, I take that $100, the extra $100, plus the payment that I was paying on the debt, and I apply it to my next smallest debt. Somebody nod at me. Okay. And then when I get that paid off, then what I do? I take payment number one, Payment number two and my $100, and I apply it toward my third smallest debt. And the thing snowballs. Keeps getting bigger. And by the time I'm paying off debt on like my car or my house or something, I'm making a large payment. And if you do that, you, you get a lot of stuff paid off quicker. Buddy okay with that? Okay. If you didn't understand that, just Google debt snowball, and you can listen to Dave Ramsey explain it better than me. All right. Then after that, you want to avoid debt like it's the plague. I'm serious. Debt, debt is terrible. You ought to look at debt and, and recoil in horror. If you do that, it, you'll, you'll live healthier. I'm just being honest with you. Now, there, is, there are a few times where, where having some debt is, is okay, but that's on something that makes me money. 
So for example, a house, a house has the potential over time to make me money. Right now it can go down. We bought a house. We bought a house in 08, right, right before the crash. And and right before, you know, they offered that that major stimulus. We could have got like eight grand back or whatever. So I didn't listen to God or something. But anyway. <laughs> but here's the deal. God works it out for your benefit. Okay, so we bought this house. And, and man, it tanked in value. And then God told us to move to Colorado Springs and go to Bible college. And we're like, well, we're in trouble because we can't sell this house. And, and we tried to sell it, but nobody's going to buy it because it was, you know, we were going to have to short sell it. So we ended up just renting it out. And we had no idea we were going to come back here. Um, in fact, I thought, I thought we were gone, you know. And we th were there for five years and we just kept renting it out. And then, and then... God told us to move back here and start a church. And so we moved back into that house. It ended up working really good. Jesus helped us. Um, but we, we were able to sell it later, and we ended up making money on it. Because if you can hold on to it long enough, it'll appreciate. So it may go down in the short term. Most investments, that you know, they may go down in the short term. But if you're patient, you don't freak out. That's the major thing Warren Buffett would tell you to do. Don't freak out. Just stay calm. Don't look at it every day. That's my... That's my problem. If you look at it every day, your anxiety is going to go up and you're going to be tempted to pull the money out, but you can't do it. Got to leave it in there so it'll go up. So anyway, a house is good. A business, you can take out a loan sometimes to start a business. There's risk in that, obviously, because the business may not make it. So make sure that you, you know, maybe go to this entrepreneur class we have or, you know, figure, figure something out and, and, and work on it. But, and then also education. Um, you want to try to not go into as much debt as possible when you get an education. And I'd really encourage young people, if you're going to college, you know, don't, don't go there because you don't know what else to do. You know, go there go because there you've got a plan so that, so that and, you, and like, if you're going to get a degree like me, which is English, you, I, could, I could have done two things. <laughs> I could have been an English teacher, go to law school. That's about it. And so uh, I did the English teacher thing. But, but anyway, you need, to look at, you need to look at the return on the investment. So if it's going to cost me, you know, 100 grand to get this degree, uh, am I going to make enough money to pay that back? You need to be really honest and, and look at that. And so I'd encourage you, if you're parents and you've got young kids, you know, talk, talk to them about this. A lot, of, a lot of people get into a lot of trouble going into a lot of uh, uh, education debt. Now, if you're in that, God loves you. Just, just don't stress about it. Believe God to get out of it. Everybody okay with that? But you want to avoid debt. Um, let's talk about cars briefly just for a second. You want to really try not to go in debt on a car. Uh, cars are not a good investment. If somebody tells you they bought a car, I watched this show one time and this guy was like drove up in his, his land, you know, this really nice Land Rover and he jumped out and and his friend was like, man, that's a nice car. And, and he's like, how much does that set you back? And the guy's like, 50 grand. And, but it's an investment. And, and no, it's, it's, it's not. Right? I, I mean, now, if you've got the money and you want to spend 50 grand, I don't, I don't care. But 50 grand, on, on the, the deal with the Land Rover or any other car, it's going down in value. It's actively losing me money. I was talking to my friend, and he was telling me he bought this car, 
and, and it's a nice car, but he goes and looks at it in his garage and it stresses him out because every time he looks at it, all he thinks is that there's money being sucked out of his, of his wallet. Now, I don't know, you know, you, that may not be totally healthy, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a good point, right? I don't want to look at my car like it's making me money. My car is losing me money. Um, and, and Dave Ramsey is real strong about this. He says you probably shouldn't buy a new car unless you're already a millionaire. And the reason for that is, even if you get a good, really good deal on, on stuff, uh, you, it's, hard to beat the, it's hard to fight the depreciation. The moment you drive the thing off the lot, you, you knock about 10% off the value. So if you buy a $30,000 car, the moment you drive it off the lot, it's like you've torched $3,000. If you, if you, you know, burn up that much of your money, it's hard, to, it's hard to get ahead. So I did some math for you just to, just to show you the reality of this. Um, on the back there, let's pretend you're 30 years old and you've got $15,000 that you want to use to buy a car. Everybody okay with a little bit of math? I know it's, I know it's intense on Sunday morning, but, but a 30-year-old, and so I, I, I'm 30, and I got 15 grand, and I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy myself a really nice car. I'm going to buy a $30,000 car. I'm going to buy a brand new car. Well, the, the major problem with that already is I've got the depreciation that's hurting me, but then I'm paying interest on stuff, and so even if I get a really good deal, let's say, you know, sometimes you can get like 1.9% financing over six years or whatever. So I'll end up paying, if I did that, $30,900. So that's really not too bad because it's, it's just an extra $900. And that might be how you're tempted to think about it. But I'd encourage you to think about it this way. If, if I didn't buy the $30,000 car and instead I just took my cash and I bought the $15,000 car, I've already said that I can afford this car payment, right? And if I, if I figure out the math, the car payment's about $221 a month. And if I take that money, and instead of paying it as a car payment, I pay myself. And I put the money in an index fund, and I do that every month for six years, just like I was paying a car payment. If I do that, and then I retire when I'm 65, if you do all the math and you get about an 8% return, which is historically accurate in the S&P 500 if you include in, uh, dividends and inflation, if you do that, you're gonna be, that's going to be worth about $161,000. That $15,000. So to me, that's really powerful when you see it played out that way. Everybody okay? I know that's... A lot of math. Albert Einstein supposedly said this, compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. I don't think he knew Jesus, but <laughs> beyond Jesus, compound interest is a powerful thing. Okay, so here's the deal. What do I do with my, with my investments? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to buy assets. Assets are things that make me money. Real estate, uh, stocks, bonds, etc., businesses. And when I invest in stuff, what happens over time is that I start to have investments that make me money. All right. And what I'm working towards is getting to a point where I've got these investments that are making me money. And if, as my expenses go down, you know, They'll go up and down and stuff over time. But eventually, you know, my, my teenagers are going to move out of my house. They're going to quit eating me out of house and home. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay off my house or whatever. My expenses are going to go down. And if I can get my investments to generate more passive income than my expenses, I can reach this second X. And this second X is called financial freedom. This is where I don't have to work anymore if I don't want to. Why not? Because I've got, I've got passive income that's exceeding what I spend on a monthly basis. In my opinion, this is what everybody ought to shoot for. And you can get there. Now, if you're way back here, don't stress. Just make the first X your goal. But if you're right there, what do you do? Now I've got a new goal. Get to this X. Okay, now there's probably a few of you that are in the room that you're already here. And if you get there, there's a little bit of a danger because you can start to think, well, what do I do now with my finances? But I want you to notice there's another gap right here. Anybody see that? So in theory, my, my investments can keep going up. My expenses can keep going down. What do I do with this extra money? Well, I would, I would give some of it, but you can actually reinvest it. And you can start a third line, and what you can do with this line is give it all away. <laughs> and you can actually have investments that the sole purpose of them is to finance the kingdom. That's what I want to do. What, what if I bought stuff that after I died, it still generated income, like forever, to finance the kingdom? Amen. How awesome would that be? So this is what the guy that teaches this calls, he calls it the triple X factor or something like that. I don't know, the three X's. Okay, so here's, here's what I do is, is if I'm back here, believe to get here. If I'm right here, believe to get here. If I'm already past this, believe to get yeah. there. I think that's exciting. Yeah. Personally, I'm believing God to get down here. It's going to take me a while. <laughs> but I'm working on it. Okay, and now why, why, why would we do this? Well, because, you know, a lot of people are, are, are uh, you know, controlled by this idea that money is evil. Money is not evil. If, if, it, if it's my God, then it is evil. But if I manage it, if I control it, it becomes a source of tremendous blessing. Think about all the people. I believe God's calling people to, to get to down here, to get to this third X. I believe He wants to raise up people that can figure out how to invest in stuff that will generate income for the kingdom forever. This is what we need to do. We need to think long term. Because Jesus could come back tomorrow. But what if He doesn't? I'm serious. What if he doesn't? Because if he doesn't, there's still a whole bunch of broken, hurting people out there that need Jesus. And I want to reach them. It costs money to do that. So we need to figure out how to, how to steward well our finances so we can do that. I want to encourage you, point five on the back. Anybody can reach financial freedom regardless of your income level. It has nothing to do with how much money you make. Everybody say this with me. It has nothing to do, nothing to do with how much, money, how much money you make. It doesn't. 
Certainly it gets easier if you, if you make more money, but it has to do with percentages, not amounts. It's percentages. If I get the percentages right and I do it over a long period of time, I can reach financial freedom. I ran the math a hundred different ways. If you, if you make 30 grand a year, if you make 100 grand a year, 250 grand a year, whatever, if you, if you will get to a place where you can live on 75% of your income and you save 15, you give 10, and you do that for 30 years. I know that sounds like a long time, but if you're disciplined, you do it for 30 years, you'll hit financial freedom. It's almost automatic. Now, I mean, that's not a real world scenario because your income doesn't stay flat and things happen and I understand all that. But my point is that, that it's, it's doable. Now, if, if I I'm, if I'm, don't have 30 years or whatever, then, then don't worry about it. All you got to do is just, is just save more aggressively or invest more aggressively. You know, some things, that's why it's great, you know, if you're young and you figure this stuff out, you can, you can invest in these index funds and stuff. And, and, and there's ways to make money quicker, like you invest in real estate or whatever. But, I mean, the, the, the S&P 500 and stuff, that thing is like so automatic that, I mean, if you just do it, it's, it's you, you almost can't hardly miss if you just keep investing in it over time. Now, I mean, things happen and... Don't sue me later if, if, 30 years, if 30 years from now you're not financially free, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll probably end it there. Um, this is all I'll talk about, this kind of stuff. But, but for more information, um, Dave Ramsey's got great classes, Financial Peace University. A lot of people have taken that. A lot of people have not taken his follow-up, The Legacy Journey. Uh, if you're doing well and you, you don't know what to do with some of your investments and stuff, I'd encourage you to take that course. You can look them up online and, and do it. In the fall, we were talking about we may offer something like this. We may offer some kind of a financial class. But anyway, I hope this helped you. I hope it was encouraging. We, we want you to, to have clear goals. Now, here's the element that sometimes gets missed in some of this secular ways of thinking about this is how many of you just recognize that some people just got healed a minute ago <laughs> okay that's outside the realm of, of what's possible naturally right well the same God that does that is the same God that can fix your finances so don't discount that don't discount that now Jesus said that you're not supposed to stress about your finances because because if you look at birds, he takes care of the birds, right? Well, what's that mean? Does that mean, that mean God, you know, the bird just sits there and God gets a worm and shoves it in his mouth and makes him eat it? What it means is that, that, that the bird, all day long, the bird is flying around and he's looking down and he's participating in these natural processes that God's created and he's just looking for his opportunity. That's what it is. He's just looking for his opportunity. And then, oh, there's the worm. There it is. I know God's going to provide. I know God's going to provide. I'm just looking for my opportunity. Where's it coming from? And so this is the attitude we need to have. So everybody say this with me. I am a generous person. I am a giver. The favor of God is on my life. God provides for me. There is lots of opportunity for me to succeed. Jesus, help me see the opportunities in front of me.
many of you can say amen to that? That's, that's what it is. It's just, I'm just like a bird. I've got faith. God provides. I'm looking for the opportunity. Where's it going to come from? It could be anywhere. I mean, I'm looking around. There's lots of opportunity. Amen? So I'm not depressed. I'm not thinking, well, there's no, I'm not going to make it. Nothing's, no, I'm encouraged. Good things are happening. I serve a supernatural God. Amen. Let's all stand up. My prayer team can come down here. If you need personal prayer for something, if you need a financial breakthrough, if you need uh, uh, healing in your body or something, we'd love to pray with you. I'm encouraged. God is working. I think we have more prayer ministers. They're coming. Jesus help us. All right. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down here and pray with one of these guys. I'd encourage you, if this is your first time here, stop by the uh, info center on the way out and fill out a guest info card. We'd love to uh, connect with you and tell you about what we're doing. We'll give you a free gift. And uh, we appreciate you spending part of your Sunday with us. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, come down in a second. Father, I thank you for your goodness. We just believe you for increase. We believe you for breakthrough. Thank you that you're providing opportunities for us. And so we're, we're looking. We're keeping our faith level up. We're not being discouraged. And Lord, whatever we've uh, uh, done well or not done well, we thank you that you're not stressed by it, that you're able to overcome. And so, Lord, we just receive from you every good thing. And we thank you for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.